Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Iron Brew Podcasting Conversation Series. It's another 80s episode for you today, which means we are handing over to former Iron commentator Tony Shepherdson. And today he's going to be talking to someone who was at the club for quite a long time. And he does have the honour of scoring the final goal at the old showground. That's all things we'll get into later on. Uh, it's Steve Lister, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? Well, very good, thank you. I'm looking forward to this one, definitely. Uh, so, as ever with these episodes, Tony, over to you. Good evening, Steve. Nice to talk to you again after many, many, many years. How are you Let's keeping? Less, less of the many, many. We'll, have, we'll, uh, we'll stick to many, many years, shall we, Tom? That's all right, then, fella, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to talk about you, you starting your career at Doncaster, moving on to Scunthorpe. Brief spells at York and Boston, but let's start at the present time. What are you doing with yourself to keep yourself amused? To keep myself amused, I, w- I wish it for more for uh, just amusement. Um, to be honest, Tom, um, at the minute I'm uh, I'm working as a, a mentor and monitoring monitor for coaches uh, abroad overseas. Uh, so we're doing a lot of uh, work with um, with foreign coaches uh, and writing basically educational football educational programs. Sounds very interesting. Um, a bit of a forerunner, really, isn't it, that? A bit of a lot. Well, um, looking into the future, shall we say, futuristic. Obviously, when I um, when I finished playing football, I, I did what every, um, well, a lot of the old footballers used to do and went and managed a pub. Um, but then going to coach education and working with the uh, the Football Association and the Professional Footballers Association, um, and went through about 20, 20 odd years doing that. Obviously, working in the pro clubs, working uh, you know in the county FAs and things, and with the FA. Um, but then um, the old, as, you, as you'll probably know, uh, Tom. Obviously, I suffered with uh, one or two injuries, and uh, and the old body decided that it weren't taking it no more. So I did, uh, you know, what the next best thing is, uh, you know, keep the. Um, uh, the the mentoring going through and the monitoring going through with uh, with people I work with and I've got a bank of coaches from everywhere from Tokyo Dubai America South Africa everywhere um, and it's good uh, I really enjoy it sounds sounds fantastic and very well done well let's go back then so you joined Doncaster as an apprentice uh, in 1978 make your debut for Doncaster under Billy Bremner tell us a little bit about Billy. Well, I knew Billy from um, from a lot of years before because uh, all my youth football uh, I was brought up at Leeds United Football Club. Um, so I did everything from from basically being seven years or sort of six years old or so. Uh, you know, going in there, uh, you know, doing courses and uh, and playing uh, youth team football or you know the junior football as it was then. Um, you know, there we always had contacts with the pro footballers. So uh, the likes of Billy Bramner, the Terry Coopers, uh, Jack Charlton's, and uh, uh, everybody that uh, I basically grew up with those people. So I knew Billy uh, quite well before before I actually signed or in coming to Doncaster, should I say? How many managers did you play for at Doncaster then? Uh, I don't know. It's Stan Anderson. It was just two, I think. Uh, Stan Anderson and uh, and Billy. 
So, um, so I think there are only two. I think that are uh, a couple of interim ones at the time, but, uh, but just the two. Um, what type of manager was Billy? Was he a hard worker? Did he lead from the front or did he leave it to his coaches? No, I mean, to be honest, he, um, he, he you know, whatever he, uh, whatever he wanted doing, he did it himself. He was uh, very hands-on on the football pitch. He, uh, you know, he got the grass underneath his boots. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was very, uh, very hands-on. Uh, he had the support from likes of, uh, you know, Dave Bentley and people like that. Um, and still knows, or, uh, you know, obviously still was there for a while as well. So, uh, you know, uh, really good people. It's a good blend of, uh, of backroom stuff he had. Right, so your debut for Doncaster was against Reading in a 2-2 draw, but you must have been really pleased playing for your hometown club when you was only a youngster. It's, do you know, it, it, came, it came about so weirdly because um, we'd been um, you know, doing the, uh, the training all week in build-up to the game. And uh, on the Friday morning, uh, we used to come in on a Friday morning to, um, to do the, uh, you know, the, the set pieces. Uh, and I weren't involved in the set pieces or anything like that. So basically, I was, I was going to be sat on the bench, as I, as I thought I was going to be sat on the bench, um, because um, uh, in, in them days, it were only uh, you know one substitute. Uh, as it worked out, when we eventually came into uh, to the game that evening, uh, Dave Bradley, who was uh, the centre-back for the... Uh, we got him from Manchester United, uh, and David fell ill. So, um, so you know, I walked into the changing rooms and uh, and Billy says to me, he says, uh, he says, you're playing. He says, you're starting the game. So uh, the, the the really strange and weird thing about it was is that at that time I was a striker. I used to play up front. So all my uh, football at Leeds United and, uh, um, you know, my build-up at Doncaster Rovers was all being, uh, you know, from a striking point of view. So I thought, brilliant, I'm going to be out of a game. So I went to get number nine on. Uh, so I went to put number nine again when uh, when shirt numbers actually meant something. Uh, so I went to put uh, number nine on as this hand hit me on the back of the uh, shoulders and it were Alan Warboys. And he says, what are you doing? I says, I'm getting ready for a game, I'm playing. He says, you're not putting that uh, shirt on, son. I says, what do I do then? So I'm sat there with no shirt and I've got my shorts on and everything and, uh, and Billy just threw number five to me and that was it. So I thought, oh, no, I'm still playing up front. And he turned around to me, five before five, Five minutes before the game, he says, uh, you're playing as a centre-back. And I thought... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I thought, oh, I don't know, because I've never played as a centre-back before. And um, he sat me down and he just talked me through it. He says, uh, basically, we're a case of uh, everything that, uh, that you learnt at Leeds United as a striker, everything that we've been talking about as a striker here. He says, uh, just do the opposite. And that was it. That was my, uh, that was my team talk, that was my introduction to starting my, uh, my career, uh, partly as a centre-back, and that was it. So how many more games did you play that season? That season? I, I don't think there was many. I think uh, probably a dozen or so, I think it was, because that was in, uh, I think that was March, March the 22nd, I think it was. Um, and so there weren't many games left, and I think I played, I played about a dozen or so. Well, the following season, you finished up as a top goal guy with 12 goals. Yeah. And that attracted the attention, apparently, of some big clubs, Liverpool included. Yeah. And what was you aware of this at the time? Very much so, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it obviously came about on the, um, you know, in the media, um, you know, television, radio and, uh, and press and everything. And, um, you know, so we highlighted that Liverpool had, um, had expressed interest. Uh, so Billy uh, basically got uh, me and my dad into into his office and said, "Look, he says uh, uh, we've had this offer from Liverpool, and offer was actually made, 
Um, so we've had this offer from Liverpool, £200,000, which in them years was, uh, you know, at that time, a lot of money. Um, and he, uh, I'm, so my ears prick up and I'm thinking, wow, what's happening here? He says, uh, yeah, they've made an offer, he says, but um, we won't let you go for less than 250 Um I thought, well, fair enough. Um, you know, that'd be absolutely fine. But if Liverpool wanted to pay for 250 uh, you know, it'd be great. Uh, but Liverpool didn't want to pay 250 uh, so the the deal actually fell through uh, on a uh, on a costing point of view, and that's apparently the signed Ian Rush. Yeah, uh, two hundred thousand pound and set of goalposts. I think it was as well. Tom, to be honest with you, uh, <laughs> they, they, they dropped around. They made a mark mistake there, didn't they? Well, that's your opinion, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> but also that particular year, um, you finished up. When you finished up top goal scorer, you played against Queen's Park Rangers in the FA Cup when Queen's Park Rangers top tier club at the time. Yeah, they, uh, they were one of the uh, you know top teams in the, in the league at that year. And uh, to be honest, it was a um, it was a horrible day. It was um, it was really cold and uh, and the pitch was quite bubbly. Um, and we we fancied his chances against Southerners anyway. When it wherever we went. But um, you know them coming up to us, and you know the types of player that they had, uh, you know likes uh, you know all ball players. So they knew that we knew they were going to be you know very comfortable on uh, on a pitch like they were going to be uh, welcomed with the Doncaster at that time. Um, and uh, we turned them over, and uh, you know it was a great day, uh, really enjoyable, lots of good memories. And you played against Everton in the same season. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, the Everton game was a. Uh, uh, that's got um, you know certain memories for me as well. I mean, you look you look at that one. The the players that were playing for them, the likes of Andy Gray, uh, you know Gary Stevens, Trevor Stephen, um, you know uh, Reedy, and everybody were playing. Uh, you know, it was a phenomenal team. Uh, and the week before, I'd, w- I'd watched them on the telly. We knew we were playing them, in, you know, in the FA Cup. And the week before, I think it was that uh, uh, I watched them play Newcastle. Uh, and they beat them 5 0 at Goodison Park, and I thought, mm, you know, we're, we've got to go mm-hmm. there next week. And, uh, you know, but again, you know, his preparation was good. Uh, Billy's preparation was good. We knew all about the players, obviously, anyway. Uh, but Billy went into um, to everything with his, uh, his pre match work, his, uh, his tactics, his training, and everything. And again, we went there with full of confidence. And to be honest, um, within six minutes, we should have been uh, 1 0 up. Uh, Aidan Butterworth missed, uh, missed a chance at 60 yards out, which may have changed the game uh, to a certain extent. But then I gave two free kicks away playing against uh, uh, Big Graham Sharp, uh, two free kicks which resulted in two goals until we got beat 2 0. Well, the following season, you moved to Scunthorpe United, that was in 1985, with Billy Russell, an ex teammate from Doncaster, the manager at Scunthorpe, Frank Barlow. Did you know Frank before you came? No, not really, I knew of him. Um, I mean, I, I, I were aware of him. Obviously, we'd met up, um, you know, while I were at Doncaster and uh, you know playing against uh, you know each other. Uh, so I, I were aware of him, but no, not really. Didn't really know much of him before I went. And where was Frank intending playing you? Because you said that you played as a centre half and as well as a striker. Because it was reported in the press that uh, the season before the, the end of that season, why thought didn't get into the playoffs was because they had some frailties in defence. Was it talked about you going to play in defence or in midfield where you finished up playing? I think, it, to be honest, he, um, he, uh, we had an interview uh, one day and it was um, myself and um, uh, John Hawley. We were both interviewed at the same time. And I, I called, called myself a utility player at that time and he called me a futility player. 
um, which <laughs> I don't know which way to take that. But uh, I, I signed under the under the impression that we're going to be playing, um, you know, both both as a, you know, could be playing as both a centre back and a midfield player. I was very happy doing. Yeah, I mean, coming from Doncaster that, in the. Uh, late 80s and early 90s, Doncaster and the surrounding area was a real hotbed for aspiring footballers, wasn't it? The Snowden brothers, David Hall, Dave Travis, Mark Adkins, Dicker Taylor from Barnsley, and as you mentioned, John Hawley. What's John from Doncaster? No, John, um, John is from Hull. Um, he had an antiques business as well, I remember that. Um, so he, he played at Arsenal, into John? And, um, yes, he did. Another, another well-known player. Um, you know, and at the time when he signed, I thought, "What a school that is!" You know, and, uh, great play, great, great personality in the dressing room as well, which uh, which obviously I think you need. Um, and I think it was your personal friends to the Snodding brothers. Oh yeah, I mean, we um, I played with Snods at uh, Doncaster. We had a, um, a terrific team at, uh, at Doncaster um, with the likes of Snods. Uh, you know, David Hall uh, were playing in there as well. Um, you know, we had um, you know good players up front, uh, you know strong players up front who scored a lot of goals. Uh, so we had a good balance of, uh, of players at Doncaster, which I think, um, as we probably will talk a little bit later, uh, you know about the team. I think we underachieved at Doncaster the same as we did at, um, at Scunthorpe because I mean I remember playing um, at Burnley one night, one night, uh, you know, for Doncaster, and they absolutely battered us, uh, but we won it one 0 They had the hitters with everything. Um, you know, it was an helmet's job. And I went in uh, after the game finished and we'd won it 1 0. I went into the uh, the changing rooms and I, I just sat on the bench, you know, shattered as you do, and just looked round at the uh, the players that we'd got there. And I thought, you know, nobody's going to beat us this year. You know, we're going we're gonna to get promotion on that. Um, and nobody was going to beat us. But unfortunately, um, the team broke up. Um, I don't know the way, you know, the reasons as to why it broke up. So the likes of Darryl Pugh and what have you left, um, uh, you know, left uh, the club. One or two other players left the club and um, and we ended up not getting up and uh, and very disappointed. Because in 85, 86, you finished 15 and uh, Frank brings in Bill, Bill Green as his assistant manager, who sadly has le- left this world. Yeah. Um, I think he was a big friend of Bill's, wasn't he? Well, again, I played with Bill at uh, Doncaster. He, uh, he came as a, a centre-back uh, alongside, they brought uh, Andy Kowalski, um, uh, one or two other, oh, Ernie Moss as well. So we had uh, three players from Chesterfield, uh, you know, so brought one or two players in like that. So I had, uh, I had some time with Bill at Doncaster before, obviously knowing him at uh, Scunthorpe as well. There was lots of ups and downs in the 85-6 season and there was in the 86-87 season. And along with Steve Kamek, the leading goal scorer, having to retire, how did that affect the club when Kamek had to pack it in? It, 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 it didn't really affect the whole thing. I mean, I read that question earlier, and, um, and I, I, Steve was a very, very good goal scorer. Um, you know, you, you, you put the ball uh, you know, in a place where, uh, where he could uh, get on the end of it, and he scored goals. It was as simple as that, but uh, but Steve did a, didn't do a great deal outside the box, uh, you know, certainly for us. Um, but we had um, a lot of good players around us as well. We had Julian Broddle, we had uh, uh, Mickey Lester, Tommy Graham, and uh, and people like that who uh, who were very very good footballers. And and if if I'm honest, I would say that um, when I when I went and I saw these players that you know they were at the club, and I thought you know we've got a lot of good players there, good footballing players and whatever, but we didn't play that way. We didn't play that way. It was a, um, a, a different tactic than I, that I think that um, that the 
players would have been, well, I, I personally, I thought it would have been better, better playing a different way. Yeah, and you mentioned Mickey Lester there, uh, and apparently Mickey Lester and Tommy Graham were very good in the dressing room as well as on the pitch. Very good in the dressing room, on the pitch, out, out of a Saturday evening and what have you, absolutely everywhere. They were uh, terrific people. Um, you know, I'm still in touch with Tommy Graham now. I speak to him, um, you know, over social media and everything. So uh, I haven't seen Mickey for a long time, but Mickey, Mickey were definitely a character. I thought he were Rod Stewart. <laughs> and I've never seen a player um, do his stretches and his warm ups like Mickey Broly used to do. It used to take him longer to do the stretches and warm ups than he did to play a game. Well, Mickey, well, he, he, he was another one, another strange one, because you know, Mickey never swore. He Didn't never, he? He never swore. He, he, if, if, if any kind of negative word or, or anything that could be seen as an expletive, I mean, obviously, you know, in football that he, you know, you're effing and blinding on the pitch and all that sort of stuff, but uh, he never, ever swore, Mickey. And uh, we always used to think that, um, you know, there's got to be something different there. And this one night, he actually got booked um, because the referee thought he actually taken the Mickey, Mickey out of him. He, um, he actually asked him, he says, excuse me, referee, would you mind explaining that decision to me? <laughs> I think the referee thought he'd not heard that before. So we booked him and he booked him for that. <laughs> but, but never swore. Mickey was brilliant. I love Mickey. And that was the season that you played Tottenham in the FA Cup. Yeah. It was a very gold Saturday. Um, but you've got a player in there called Kendy Mange from Liverpool. Um, player on loan. He scored the goal for Scunthorpe that day in the 3-1 defeat. But how good was Dimanche? A, a typical Liverpool player, a very good continuity player that we had. <clears throat> uh, he, um, you know, you could give him uh, give him the ball in uh, any, any kind of uh, situation, whether people were tight on him, whether he had space or anything, he could look after it. Uh, so very, very composed on the ball and, uh, and certainly brought other players into it as well. So I would say a, a very, very typical Liverpool player that, you, that they've always had. Yeah, um, and what was it like for you playing at Whiteout Lane and playing against Hoddle and Waddle, um, even though Scunthorpe had Broddle? Um, <laughs> that, that was the uh, the game that um, Frank started. Uh, he started me, um, you know, marking Glenn Hoddle man for man, and uh, and he said to said to me, just stick with him. He said, whatever it goes, just just go with him. And people used to say that Glenn Hoddle couldn't tackle. It's um, but I, he, he hit me that day. And um, and I thought I'd been ex- hit by an express train. He uh, he didn't have to catch me well, but um, so I marked Glen Oddle, and uh, and then he moved me around within the space of about twenty twenty five minutes uh, to mark in uh, starting with Glen Hoddle, then going to mark uh, Clive Allen, Nico Clyson, uh, and uh, and players like that, and Chris Waddle, and um, and you look at that in twenty twenty five minutes, I had a bit of a run round, but uh, this you know is it. It's a memory that one. It's, it was a great day. And the, the big thing about uh, the Tottenham players is after after the game, uh, and we went into the players' lounge and um, they put this spread on. Uh, you know, so there was all this food and, and the drinks and everything, and, uh, and it was all paid for by the Tottenham Hotspur players. You know, so the clubs had not paid for it. It was all paid for by the uh, the Tottenham Hotspur players, which I thought were a great touch, to be honest. And they all came when they came in with us and and, uh, and sat and talked football and, and shared a drink with us, which was really, really good. Loved it. I bet Ron Green got his first <laughs> share of the food. <laughs> Ron. <laughs> Do you know what? I was around on about Ron the other day because um, I'd, um, 
my, my wife had cooked me this uh, this really nice um, full breakfast. Uh, it was a you know a full English breakfast and like, everything on it, so black puddings, ash browns, and everything. And as I were eating it, I just thought Ron Green, and I remember that we used to go away, and uh, when we we, we travelled away, stayed over the, over in the hotel on the Friday night, and on the Saturday morning, obviously it's it's game day, but uh, but Ron used to get up. First thing in the morning when the breakfast uh, uh, restaurant opened, and I had a full breakfast uh, immediately, the doors open. Then he'd go back to bed for an hour, then he'd get up again and have another one. So he'd have two, a couple of good full English breakfasts, uh, even before uh, breakfast time was finished in the hotel. He could eat, no? He could eat. He would go. Well, his nickname was The Beast, wasn't it? The Beast, yeah. He was. Another yeah. character, another character, great character. I think that I think at that time the team was was full of characters, wasn't it? But after after you played Tottenham a few weeks after Frank was released of his duties, and Richard Murray and Bill Green took over. What did they do differently? We ran us to death, um, which which I didn't like to be honest with you. It's um, you know I'll be honest with you that the 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 interim time wasn't well not for me enjoyable there <clears throat> because I, I think you've got to. Um, you, you, you've certainly got to have your players on your side, and you, uh, you know, you want your players to come into work of a morning and enjoy training. And I just didn't enjoy training at that time. It's uh, you know because I knew we were going to be running around, uh, um, you know, athletics tracks or, or around um, what was it called? Was it Lawton Woods or something up there? Lawton Woods, yeah. Yeah, uh, we used to go there, yeah. running, running up through the woods there, and uh, and it went. It went I didn't. I didn't enjoy the training at that time, to be honest with you. But they did sign Andy Flanders, didn't they? He was a real good goal scorer, and I think you and Andy got on well together. Flopper, another one of them, another out-and-out goal scorer. I was very, very surprised when he came, when he, when we actually were able to get him here. Um, you know, because um, you know, obviously, I'd played against him before, <clears throat> and um, so I knew what his capabilities were. At, um, you know, by playing against him. Uh, so to get him, I thought were a real, real, real coup. To, you know, to get into the football club, and, and Andy was a player that again, pretty similar to Steve Kamick in the fact that um, you know he put the ball in the box and he's going to get on the end of it and score goals for you. But he did a lot more work outside the box as well. Yeah, in April though, uh, Mick Buxton's made manager. Um, what did he do different? Because he must have done something different. Six wins and a draw in your last seven games. Mick was a. A very um, uh, what's the best way of saying this? He were he were a, a players' manager, and um, and what, like I've just said about the time, I, I didn't enjoy the you know the short period of try- time you know where we were running for training all the time. Um, Mick, Mick knew how to get the best out of players, and um, you know he, he wouldn't just um, you know put it into onto the training pitch. As you he used to have one to one meetings all the time. He'd uh, he'd be whispering you here. He'd be sat on the coach with you. Um, you know, giving you pointers and all that sort of stuff. It'd give you a good rollicking if you needed it. Uh, and he ran us when we needed to run. But, um, you know, but at the end of the day, he, he was a, a... He knew how to get the best out of the players. And I think that's Some it. people have described him as a big stick manager. It could be. It could be. But he, he, were, he were also... I mean, I, I knew him, um, you know, extremely well. Uh, you know, obviously, he used to take me to um, to Lillishaw, obviously, when I were injured a hell of a lot. He used to play a lot of time down there, spend a lot of time down there. <clears throat> but um, I knew him quite well, and I knew um, you know he he knew the right time to um, to be uh, strict and physical, if you want uh, to say that. And um, you know, and other times when it could be afford to be lenient and be jovial. 
Uh, and I, I found him absolutely brilliant, Mick. He was uh, one of my favourite managers, to be honest with you. 87, 88, and there's a lot of changes at Scunthorpe United, especially at board level. Tom Belton steps down as chairman to become vice chairman, and Graham Pearson comes in to be chairman. And there was a decision made to sell the ground and move on to a new stadium to wipe off existing debts that were crippling the club. The boardroom changes and the decision to move. What did the players feel to that? It was just it was exciting because, um, you know, we were going to be the first... Um, I think we were the first club at that time to, um, uh, for a hell of a long time anyway, to, to build a, a new purpose-built football ground. And, um, you know, so it were exciting. We, we were involved in the, um, the development of it. We went to a lot of, uh, a lot of times of an afternoon to, uh, you know, to go and see development, how it was coming on and whatever. So it were, it were very exciting. It were, you know, we really looked forward to when that ground opened because the old show ground was brilliant. <clears throat> we loved it. But I didn't like playing up and down that hill. You know, what I mean, it was a uh, there were a bit of a slope on that, and I always thought, you know, it was a uh, you know, a brand new ground was going to be great for us because of the players that we had at, at that particular time as well. Yeah, and also in that particular year, you have a new defender join you, but once again from Doncaster, Tony Brown, and uh, what difference did he make to the defence? Tony, Tony were a, he were a good a, a good footballing centre half, Tony. Um, again, he could head it when uh, when he needed to head it, put it in row Z when he, uh, he needed to put it in row Z. But he were a, a very um, uh, intellectual player, and, and I think, to be honest, I, I built a good rapport with uh, uh, with Tony as a player as well. You know, we had, I think we had a decent partnership whenever we played together, and I enjoyed playing with Tony. Good player, good player. Yeah, the team were flirting with the automatic promotion that season, but uh, lost some points in with some drawn games, right? at the end of the season and that made it a little bit of a lottery um, what sort of move was the team in after they dropped the points really at the end of that year it's, it, it, when you, you get to the end of the season and what have you it's, it's uh, you know players do even, I mean they'll tell you now it gets to the end of the season and every point is so vital that you get and every point that you drop, it's um, it's it's a massive loss. It, you know, you might drop one or you know one or two at the uh, beginning of the season, but uh, when it gets towards the end of the season, there's a little bit of pressure on. That um, it, I think it does play, you know, so uh, psychologically onto you. And I think maybe it's one or two, um, you know, suffered a little bit with that. That uh, you know, because we we were comfortable and what have you, we we were in a good position to get promotion that year. And um, and I think as we we dropped a couple of points, I think the, the pressure may have got to um, to just one or two of the players at that time. Yeah, the last league game of the uh, season at the Old Showground was Exeter <laughs> in a one-one draw. And was this a bit of a moving situation with all the hype of the club moving? And as you said, it was in the late four, it was late forties, and I believe it was Hull City were the last club to move ground before United did it. And there was all the veterans there, like Jackie Brown saw Barry Thomas watching him. Did this put pressure on you? To be honest, I didn't even know about it. Um, you know, we knew there were going to be a little bit of um, of hype with it, uh, but uh, it was actually kept away from us that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we, we knew that there were going to be uh, certain dignitaries there, but uh, but no, it, it didn't affect us that at all. You know, there were no 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 added pressure because of that. Um, because of what had happened in the league, it extends the season, and it's the first season that playoffs are introduced. Yeah. And this means going into a final game away, um, away at Torquay, and also if, if uh, Bolton lose to Wrexham, Scunthorpe were promoted. 
But Bolton beat Wrexham, and United had to play Torquay yet again in the same week. How did you feel about that? Fine, because we beat them the week before, didn't we? And um, you know, so um, we uh, we we were we were ready for them. And, and I don't know if you remember much about uh, the three games, Tom. <clears throat> but it was a very very physical, um, I suppose, and to a certain extent, a bit of a bloodbath. Um, if I remember right, I think it was um, did Richard Money get his cheek broke? <clears throat> cheek broken. Um, yeah, I think there were a broken rib somewhere that were thrown in there as well. Uh, and a couple of players sent off. Um, so I think it was a. Uh, a, a we, we were actually relishing playing them the the week after. Put it that way. We we were ready for uh, uh, dare I say his name, Dave Caldwell, to come to the old showground. Let's put uh, let's say that. Yeah, I believe the one that saw key, um, <coughs> the first playoff game was uh, Andy Stevenson was playing and playing against a centre forward called Caldwell, who could put it about a little bit. But Scunthorpe were on the attack and all of a sudden people started to shout and Caldwell was laid on the floor. And Mick Buxton said to Andy at half-time, was it you that did Caldwell? And Andy looked at him and said, yes. He says, well done, son. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a little bit more to it than uh, than that one. I don't think I can repeat it on air, but uh, um, there were certain things that um, that were said before uh, before. Before the game started, from you know, from players, you know, and management, that um, that we needed to look after ourselves that day, um, and uh, I, I remember, I remember the incident that you're talking about, and um, I think it was Billy Russell, was it? Or I think it was Billy that had cleared it, um, cleared it up, and So basically, I followed the ball, my head followed the ball, and uh, and then I heard this, this, um, you know, this shout, this scream, whatever. As I've turned, I've seen Dave Caldwell on the floor. And uh, and I've looked at Andy. And I thought, oh no, what's he done? And uh, I'm thinking, is has he done something? Because we know Andy, a bit of a um, uh, wild boy, if you could say that. Uh, but then next minute, I thought Dave Caldwell were um, were funny in a little bit, and uh, so I've gone over to him and uh, and basically uh, give him a little bit of probably what I shouldn't have done at the time. Uh, <laughs> unbeknown to me is that he'd uh, he'd caught for one under the uh, under the chin in the neck, uh, and he had a problem. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With his Adam's apple, which I didn't know about. But, Did uh, he? Oh God, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was. He, if you remember, he didn't play in the second game, did he? At the old show? No, 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 he didn't. Yeah, because he uh, he struggled. Which, to be honest, it's um, 
I don't know if he did it any favours or not because uh, I mean uh, it was Dave Caldwell that were uh, well, it was the cause of one or two instant you know the uh, the the ribs and the cheeks and uh, whatever we talked about earlier. Um, I think we're partly responsible for some of the things that went off there. So, uh, like I say, we're ready for Dave. Yeah, because that's the game. It reminds me now where we had to go to Torbay Hospital with Richard because I was travelling on the team bus that day. Yeah. And um, it was something like three o'clock in the morning, wasn't it, when we got back? <laughs> it would be, yeah, it would have been. Because, uh, I mean, not, they, at that time, it was um, like treatments and injuries and repairs and things. They always, uh, they're not like they are nowadays, almost instant when they go off the pitch and come back on again. That's right. Now, anyway, let's get back to that uh, second playoff game. You, uh, you go quickly a goal down, but then get a penalty. And you straight up and take the penalty. What was your feeling as you was walking up there to take the penalty and take the responsibility? Well, I mean, uh, I, I was always of the mindset that um, if I miss, I miss. If I score, I score. It's uh, it's one of them ones. I were always confident of scoring, and um, uh, but I weren't bothered if, if you like, I didn't feel any any pressure about whether I, I were going to miss it or whether I were going to score it. I, I never felt under that sort of pressure. I just always comfortable and. Uh, and one or two, one or two players um, actually turned away from taking it. That because uh, it, it, it was a little bit of a pressure game, but, you know that one pressure instance. Um, but I thought I'll go and have a go. I'll uh, I'll take it, and, uh, and sure enough, it, it it worked out to my advantage. You scored the last goal at uh, your showground. I did. Yeah, I'm quite pleased with that one. It's um, you know you're always like little landmarks and things to to look back on and. Uh, and tell people about, and uh, you know that whenever, whenever I meet, uh, you know, an Iron fan, um, you know, they uh, they constantly talk about that that last goal, um, you know, at the old showground, and um, yeah, it's nice to have my name on it. And also, it was the first season of the playoffs, and I was talking to someone the other day that said that uh, they've only ever known playoffs to how you, to to get promoted, but it, it was how did you feel? Did you feel it was strange playing? In the playoffs, and, and I think we were all there, um, you know, right at the end. And, and it's it, it is strange to end up in the playoffs if you've been uh, in the top two or three um, and and hoping to get automatic. I think if you if you end up dropping into the playoffs, then it can, psychologically it can be a, a a little bit of a downer for you. Whereas if, on the other hand, that you uh, you know you're eleventh, twelfth, and you've still got a chance to get in the playoffs. And you end up in the playoffs, then. Then obviously it's it's a major coup for you. It's a, a massive positive for you, and uh, so it can work two ways. That, but yeah, I mean we were aware of it. We knew what was going to happen uh, at the end of the day, and I think it's uh, it's great that we do have that because it does um, you know make the season last longer. You know for the teams that have still got something to play for. Right, eighty eight, eighty nine, first season at Bromford Park. What was it like getting to? Recognise your new surroundings. <laughs> well, well, first of all, we had um, it was quite controversial, weren't it? Because uh, um, on the on the opening of it, Kevin Keegan came and um, and played. If you remember, earlier, that um, I played in the in, in what they call it, in, in, inauguration, the um, the first game. Yeah, and and Kevin had had some kind of involvement in South Africa. Cricket at the time, so um, and they were playing for us. They were, they were, um, they were playing on our side, weren't they? So yes. I, was, I was sat next to him, uh, you know, getting changed at, um, you know, getting ready for the game, 
and all, everything there were, a lot, there were a lot of buzz about the ground and what have you and all the uh, the week building up to it Kevin Keegan playing in this game and the controversy that, that surrounded him with, with all this we, uh, with South Africa um, so it was it were quite quite a strange game to, to lead up to that one um, but then the, the first league game I mean obviously we'd had a couple of uh, three friendlies and what have you we were quite used to it uh, and it were actually nice to play on a flat pitch. The only problem with it, it was, it was a little bit too firm. I always found the pitch too firm. And what truth was in it that, uh, that the, the people laying the pitch had been given the wrong measurements because they say that it was easy for teams to come to Glanford Park, park the bus at the back because it, the pitch wasn't big enough. It wasn't wide enough. Well, I, I remember that day because um, I think it was Rotherham United. We played Rotherham United. And then and the groundsman at Rotherham United, I knew the uh, the groundsman, uh, you know, reasonably well. We always had a, you know, a chance. Yeah. Uh, and he came to the game and uh, and he came onto the pitch and he, he actually walked the length and breadth of it. And uh, as he passed me, he says, pitch is too small. So I thought, well, it's big enough for me. Right? It's, uh, it's far enough for me to run around. And I, I never thought anything about it. But then there were, there were um, some kind of a... Uh, I don't know whether there were an appeal made or something that, that we shouldn't have actually been playing because it was too small to play an FA Cup game. On. So, uh, is that right? I remember that. So yeah, I mean, it, it was. I mean, I think I think the um, you know the the they call them the hoardings at the side, the concrete hoardings that we've got at the side of the pitch. I think that should have been the width of the pitch. You know what I mean? The the grass should have been up to uh, up to the hoardings rather than the hoardings being where they were, and then uh, you know four or five feet uh, inside. Well, yeah, that's correct. Design, yeah. yeah, but it wasn't just a new venue. Uh, there was a big change in playing personnel with Dave McLean, Billy Russell, yeah. Ron Green, the goalkeeper, Steve Johnson, Alan Birch, Kevin Dixon, and David Hill all moving on that season. Was yeah. you surprised to see some of these key players moving on? It's, I think it's, it's part and part of football. So at the end of the year, um, you know, there's an there's a saying about you, you know, you ships in the night when you're a footballer. You, um, you know, you uh, you make friends with and teammates and what have you. But you are ships in the night. You uh, you, you can be there for a year or two years or whatever and, and meet so many different people and play with so many different players. Uh, but it's, I think it's the the personnel that they're replaced with. Which is um, you look at it and you think, well, you know, was well, that a good signing compared to what we've lost, or what a good signing that was compared to what we've lost? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I think to be fair, I mean, yeah, it's sad. You, you know, you, you look at players moving on and you think, you know, it, it might have done, uh, you know, quite well if we'd have kept them a little bit longer. But it, it, it happens. It happens. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's part and parcel of the game. You start life at Glanford Park in winning form, three-one against Hereford. And uh, a, re- a relief to get the first win. And a few days later, next up, it's Huddersfield. The Iron go 2-1 down. You score one of the goals in, in a 3-2 win. Tell us about that goal. I don't remember it. I remember just about everything. I've read that on the thing and uh, I, I don't actually remember the goal. Um, obviously, I've seen my me, me name against it, but I don't remember the goal. I do remember... You know the first couple of three games playing at Glanford Park, and uh, I, I think, um, like you say, to to always get your first win is um, is you know it, it's great, and it were, we were quite uh, lucky in the fact we got it very very early. Because if you're um, you know if you lose at home uh, in one of the first games at a brand new stadium, you start to worry then. 
But uh, but we we picked a good few points up early doors, and I think it was uh, I think we, we looked forward to playing there. A beautiful stadium, um, and what have you, brand spanking new. Uh, the changing rooms were good. Um, you know, the pitch was flat and everything like that. So we really enjoyed it, and, and pleased to get um, you know a few points on the on the board as well. But no, I don't remember the goal. <laughs> Sorry, I don't remember it. <laughs> okay, well let's talk a little bit more about. The next game, well, the Huddersfield game still. Um, you go through 5-4 on aggregate and that victory brought a tie against Chelsea, <laughs> although in the second division at the time, you beat them 4-1. You yeah. scored an own goal, unfortunately, but because of the scoreline, did you not get quite so much stick from the lads? Was it a bit light-hearted? Do you know what? I think, um, to be honest, the uh, the players just expected me to score on goals because I don't know if you you're able to trace the record and all that sort of stuff. But, I, but I'm not far off um, scoring the most on goals uh, as a professional footballer because I used to score them. And, and do you know what, Tom? Every single goal, on goal that I scored were a cracker. <laughs> they, were, they, they never ricocheted off my knee and went in, you know what I mean? They were always like 25-yard belters or, or drives or anything like that. But yeah, I, rem- I remember the goal. And do you know what the, the thing about it was? Is that I'd, I'd, I'd talked my, uh, my way through everything about knocking it back to um, to Muzzy. Uh, so I knew what was happening, the whole thing. And, you know, I knew where the ball was going to be played from. I knew it was going to come on to me. I knew where I was going to play it back to uh, to Muzzy. But I don't think I expected to get to it, you know, enough on it to log him from 20, 30 yards out. But you, you would draw 2-2 two, two down at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Was it disappointing not being able to have the away fans there because there'd been, there'd been some trouble earlier in the rounds and they'd been banned? Well, I don't think I don't see why our supporters should have been um, you know punished for that. Um, you know because um, I mean it were a, it were a big thing to take away from our supporters because they'd been there. You know in uh, when they were at the the depths of the fourth division and everything like that, and they, they stuck with us. Um, you know right the way through. Uh, and we had a, a decent following away from home. We were always really, really supportive our supporters. Uh, and I think for um, f- to, to to be punished by being banned from playing, which it weren't their fault. It weren't their fault that um, that there'd been the uh, the problems before. Uh, and to be banned from uh, from going to a game when you're playing against a team like Chelsea, I thought it. Would, I, I didn't think it were right. Put it that way. So that must be one of the highlights of your career, putting out Chelsea. The highlights. Yeah, of your career. A highlight of you beating Chelsea. Yeah, it's one of them. I mean, obviously, it talks about the Queen's Park Rangers, uh, you know, games earlier. From from game point of view, uh, I mean, I've, I've always been, uh, you know, one of the proudest moments for me is that uh, I actually stayed in the game as long as I did, you know, with the injuries that I got. Because, uh, you know, playing just short, I think it was 500 league games and having the, the amount of time out injured that I were, um, I could have been playing 700 not league games if I had stayed fit. Um, so I'm quite pleased and proud of the fact that I've done that. But yeah, I think that you're playing against teams like Chelsea and Queen's Park Rangers, that you, you know, and your Everton's, and you always look, um, you know, to them games as being the big ones, you know, because uh, you know you, you compare yourself and see how you pitch against the uh, the big teams. I remember we played, uh, I think it was Leeds United. We you know, well, Leeds United. We played Leeds at Clamford Park and um, and drew nil nil. And uh, you know we thought we, you know we thought they were, were brilliant that night. We were really good, but uh, it was like uh, the, the following games were like uh, they call it after the Lord's parade or something. And I think um, uh, Leeds went to to Anfield and beat Liverpool two one on the Saturday, as we went to Wrexham and I think we got stuff five one. 
You know, so it's, um, it, you know, sometimes you can put absolutely everything into a game like that and, uh, and really enjoy it and, like, and then suffer the consequences after it. Yeah, well, you mentioned, actually, uh, scoring on goals. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk us through the 1-0 defeat mm-hmm. on New Year's Eve at Tranmere? Can I talk you through it? I can tell you through it, but I think it were uh, another 30, 35-yard long, weren't it? Um, again, it weren't... Well, I've, got it, I've got it here. My information tells me it was a header over the top of Paul Muzzle White from 25 yards. Well, to be fair, I mean, it weren't hard to beat Muzzle, were it? I mean, if you, if you rolled it in, he'd let it through his legs or something. <laughs> you remember the Rotherham game, don't you? You know, in the Cup game. Yeah. When we drew 3-3. Three, three. Yeah, Mosley could have stopped one or two of them. I'm telling you, as much as the centre backs. I hope he listens to this podcast. Yeah, I hope he listens. Right, yeah. let's let's get back to the league. Um, you're close to automatic promotion, but like the previous season, you sort of miss out on the playoffs and uh, you, you lose to Wrexham in in both rounds. What was that? Difficult again. Playoffs. Playoffs were a bit of a um, uh, like a bogey for us, as um, you know. We, we got beat. I think it was Blackpool into the, in the playoffs uh, semi-finals as well, uh, and I think we we suffered the consequences of, uh, of playoff um, you know games a lot. So um, I don't know. It was, it was always good to be up uh, and be, be be still fighting for something at the at the end of the season, um, and I really enjoyed the games that we're playing. In. Um, you know, but uh, it is difficult to uh, to get to a to a you know a, a playoff semi final and then uh, and get beat. I think if you get to Wembley and get beat, you know at least you have the uh, the privilege of playing at Wembley and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I think the semi finals are uh, a difficult ones to lose. Right, let's move on to eighty nine ninety season. And Mark Willis arrives in September at uh, Scunthorpe United from Aston Villa. Matt was his heart on his sleeve a little bit, and how big was this signing for the team? The um, the, the sign, I think the signing was a big signing. Um, again, it's a, a name, somebody coming in. Uh, you know, we 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 a bit of clout behind him and um, and the reputation and what have you. I think those those sort of the signings are, are always good. Um, you know, you uh, you look at players and you, it looks like the the manager's got some kind of influence in bringing good. Players and what I mean, it looks like the club's going somewhere. So any signing like that, however it may be, is uh, the good, the good signings, and that were a good signing as a player. Yes. Burnley in the cup was one of the highlights of the year, but you, your promotion challenge fizzled out again. But unfortunately, you spend a large part of the season sidelined with injury. What were the injuries, and how does this play on your mind? Uh, at that time, I used to suffer with. Um, I, when I were at Doncaster, I got I picked up an injury at Doncaster, and um, and uh, I'd got a uh, I'd had a, a disc basically, I had a, a, a laminectomy, a disc removed. Um, so I, I always suffered with with my back a little bit, and I think um, suffering with my back that um, that maybe is um, you know it, it, it always follows that you know another part of your body is going to go. Uh, and I think you know having the back injuries and, uh, and struggling with that as I did, and uh, and I probably overcompensated you know, a little bit, um, and I ended up suffering with uh, with severe Achilles uh, problems, having uh, you know operations on uh, on both Achilles, um, and you know they're difficult things to uh, you know to come back from uh, you know if, if it's one, you know if it's a you know if it's a strain or whatever, if it's a rupture, it's uh, something different. 
and I think you know at the time we you know at the time you're talking about I was really struggling with uh, with two Achilles problems, and um, and it was difficult to get my pace back because to be fair, I, I did used to be pretty quick, um, you know. But once I'd got the Achilles problems, that's when I started to slow down a little bit. And how does frustration affect you? Because knowing your type of player, you was hundred percent player. You seem to get a little bit frustrated when things didn't go right. Yeah, because I broke down a couple of times. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it, once I thought I was getting back to fitness, and um, and I, I went on loan to uh, to York City, and and, um, and this was before I even played a game. Coming back after the, one of the major injuries that I've got. And uh, or that hyped up. We played away at Gillingham, and uh, or that hyped up with the game. And I'm, or, I was so nervous about it. I couldn't think of, uh, of getting through because I've had one or two uh, two breakdowns before. And uh, the the manager was John Bird, <clears throat> and uh, the assistant manager was Alan uh, Alan Little, who I played with Alan at, uh, at Doncaster as well. Uh, and they used to have this thing about um, putting a bottle of whiskey on the um, on the treatment table for the lads to have a you know a little snifter before they uh, they went out to play. Uh, that day, I think I had probably half a bottle to nearly three quarters of a bottle of it. <laughs> and uh, you know, so with that nervous tone because I'd broken down a couple of times and not having all thinking, am I actually going to be able to you know make you know finish the game and all this sort of stuff? It was a, a club they were all playing basically my first league game for. And uh, as it turned out, we, we got a nil-nil draw. We should have won it. Uh, and they gave me a man at match after the game as well. So uh, whiskey should have done a problem. And it did wonders for me. Not all the time, though. No, no, no. <laughs> let's, go, no, 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 no. let's go to 1991. And Stuart, hit, Stuart Hicks yeah. arrives at the club. How much did he improve the defence? Stuart were a very, um, it was very hyper. Um it was, um, you know, it was buzzing absolutely all the time and whatever. And it was, to be honest, it was one that kept us, uh, you know, old guard on his toes. You know, we were very, very fit, uh, very funny, um, and uh, to be honest, an half decent footballer as well. Uh, and I think he did make a big influence. I think he played every single game in his first season, and um, and he, uh, it, 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 I think he, he made a difference. So I think he livened the side up. Put it that way, definitely. Bill Green takes over from Mick Buxton just because running up to Christmas you'd had some poor results. Mick gets the second January. Bill Green takes over and he introduces Neil Cox, Graham Alexander and Glenn Humphreys to the team. What was your opinion on these three players? Terrific players. I mean, Cox and, uh, and Graham came through the uh, the youth ranks. Um, uh, Glenn came from Doncaster. I mean, it's, it's like second team, isn't it, Doncaster? Um, but terrific players. All of them doing terrific players. I mean, Coxie uh, went on to great things, uh, moving to Aston Villa and what have you, Watford. Um, and Richard, uh, Richard Hall, he was another player. I forget, um, don't forget him. And then obviously with Graham, you know, Graham um, has gone through Burnley, Preston, everywhere like that. Managed and played for him, represented his country. You know, so uh, and you, you could you could see there were a difference. Uh, you know, certainly with those those two out of the three. You know what I mean? They were they were very very good players. I mean, Glenn had been around a little bit and represented England at 121, under 21. So uh, so three very very good players that uh, that came into the team. 91-92, history is made in the FA Cup. 2-0 down, back to 2-2, 3-3 in extra time. But to, for, um, to avoid further replays, penalties have been introduced and you lose 7-6. The first club to get knocked out of the FA Cup on penalties. <laughs> what was that like? 
<laughs> there's a little bit more to that story as well. That, that's what I'm, I'm on about Muzzy. When you see Muzzy, um, Paul Musselwhite, you know, um, he'll, he'll tell you, he, uh, he threw three in nearly for us that night. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, he, um, we, 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 we should have actually, we should have won that comfortably because uh, the goals were, uh, were avoidable. Um, so he should never have got to extra time and penalties, you know what I mean? Um, but then it, it, it is the case of, uh, of, you know, it's got to be finished that night, which, um, you know, you look at it and it's, it is a you know, history being made again. Uh, and yeah, we were the first team that uh, that went out on players. But if you remember, or if you look back into that one, you'll see that uh, that I missed the first one. I missed the first penalty. I, I did look at that, and I was going to mention that yeah. later, but we'll forget <laughs> that now. <laughs> well, you can bring that one up later then. Yeah. But uh, you struggle again with injury in that particular season. But the club reaches uh, the playoffs, beating Crew over two legs, and ble- and play Blackpool in the final. It must have been horrible for you having to go to Wembley and not been playing. Right, well, yeah, there were circumstances that um, you know you go back to um, uh, to managers and uh, and how they handle players and what have you. And uh, without going too much into it, I don't think um, uh, that I was handled correctly or appropriately. That uh, you know, because at the end of the day, if um, you know, if if I'm not going to play. You know, um, there's ways and means of um, of telling me I'm uh, I'm not going to play. You know, somebody going to Wembley, um, and like I say, it's the the pinnacle pitch to to play on, and it's the uh, um, you know the the uh, the end product is something massive. Uh, and literally, I were uh, I was told um, basically just before it that uh, I weren't playing, uh, and I never even uh, were able to sit on the bench. And uh, and I just got a ticket up in the on the stand, and it's uh, it's not a good memory for me that one. It's, what was that the day of the day of the final or the day before? Yeah, the I should have known the the, the, the day before. Um, I was I was given a room in the hotel on my own, so I think um, you know something had uh, had, uh, had 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 lapsed, gone adrift. Um, you know, in previous uh, a few days before that. Um, so given a hotel room on my own, which I'm thinking are a bit strange anyway, because you always room with a partner, you know what I mean? You've got a mucker that you uh, that you room with. And I was given a room on my own, um, and then basically it's, you know, treated as all well part of the club, to be honest. So you, you leave the club at the end of the season. Was it no surprise, really, that uh, you'd been let go? As what happened, at I knew it, I knew it was coming. To be honest with you, Tony, because uh, um, you know the uh, this, there were certain things that uh, that changed towards uh, um, you know the end of that uh, that season. Um, uh, what was it, it was Big Matthew? What's his second name? Who, who came from Leicester? Matty. Yeah, one of my favourite players. Um, that good, you can remember his name. Then. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, Matty Elliott. Matt. Yeah, Matty Elliott, yeah. Uh, again, went on to great things. And Matty, I think we got Matty from Torquay. And, um, and he came in and, uh, and eventually, uh, you know, obviously played at, uh, at Wembley when, uh, um, you know, I thought I should have been playing that, uh, you know, that day. But, yeah. I mean, obviously not Matty's fault. You know, he's, uh, he's come and, uh, you know, he did a job and, uh, you know, previous to that and, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and played very well. But, um, but yeah, I just, it, it, that, is, that leaves a sour taste in the mouth, that one. Yeah. Who do you think's the best player that you've ever played with at either club, Doncaster or Scunthorpe? 
it's a hard one because you're in what do you class as the best player? Do you class the best player who's been the um, the most influential influential as a as a as a footballer on its own, or do you, did you look at it the the player that's uh, influenced you more as a man and or, or both? Or I mean, I, I grew up with the uh, the likes of uh, Alan Warboys who. Uh, um, he, he he talks me, you know, into becoming, you know, as much as the, I made that debut and he, he wouldn't give me a shirt. Um, you know, Alan was always there, you know, somebody to lean on. He always had a, a shoulder for you to uh, to go and, uh, you know, talk to him uh, and and let out any problems that you might have. He was there to support you absolutely everything. He got me doing things out of football, um, you know, to prepare me for uh, for life after football. Uh, so likes of Alan Warboys, um, you know, those sort of, uh, you know, people and players as well. A very respected man and footballer. So, yeah, Alan Warboys are definitely built there. And you look at the likes of Ian Snodden, uh, you know, Snod went on to, um, you know, to play at Leeds United and Everton and uh, another great player, great tactical player, technical player. Um, you know, so you look at players like that, you look at players you played against, Glenn Hoddle, like you said there. Uh, terrific footballer, you know, uh, vision like you've never, uh, you've never known. Uh, and then you've got the the hard men. You've got, um, um, you know, players that you can look at and think, well, they were paid to do a job and and did the job what we're done for them. So it's it's a hard one to say who's well, the best player uh, that you played with or against. But uh, I think there's uh, there's certainly one or two you can pick out and think, yeah, they influenced me. They influenced me very well. Um, I picked up on a piece from uh, Billy Russell, and Billy says that the best car he's ever travelled in for training was the Doncaster to Scunthorpe car. Absolutely. And he was the brightest one of them all. <laughs> Billy, Billy, Billy's a Scotsman, the thickest two short planks. Um, it were, it, to be honest, it, it, we, we, we needed a minibus to bring uh, that many players over sometimes because uh, when you look at it, we had Ian Hamilton. Um, you know, myself, we had Billy Russell, we had David Arl, we had uh, Dave Travis, uh, Tommy Graham used to travel through from Barnsley and meet up with us, uh, Pete Litchfield, um, goalkeeper, used to travel through from Bradford and, uh, and meet us and used to drive through. Um, you know, so we had a, uh, it, it, were a it, were, it were a good car, I must admit. The, the music left a bit to be desired because I'm a rock fan and the others had like uh, UB40 and level uh, 42 on it. Uh, you know, when when they travelled in my car, they had Led Zeppelin and Thin Lizzy, and yes, it was a good car to travel in that. So, Steve, I think we've covered quite a lot. It's been smashing talking to you once again. I'd like to really, really thank you. I don't know if the two boys um, that uh, have been recording this have got any questions for you, but uh, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you, and best of luck for the future. It's, too, it's nice to speak to you as well. So a long time no seeing all that sort of stuff. And it's too short, to be honest with you. You know, you, you, you know when you finish playing football and, uh, you know, your, your career, I mean, like I say, I had a good good career in uh, uh, in coach education, uh, you know, working with the FA and PFA. Uh, and that's a, that's a, a substitute, a second substitute to, uh, you know, to actually playing football. Uh, and I think when you can reminisce and you can talk to uh, to people like yourself, knowledgeable in the game, who were actually there as well, uh, and you can um, you can have the uh, the rap all that we just used to have all them years ago, Tom. And uh, and it's always nice. And it's too short. It's too short. What we've been on is it an hour? Is it less than an hour? Yeah, an hour. So yeah. we've been on an hour, and it's too short. We could talk all week. You, you know, there's, there's so much that you can talk about. Uh, but yeah, it's not. I appreciate it. I'm really pleased that Matt was able to get in touch with me. It was just a message that just appeared on a on a messenger uh, that I didn't see for first. Uh, I think it was a week, week and a half or so. I never even seen it. 
Uh, but then when I seen it, I thought, yeah. And I remembered, obviously, you put your name to that, so I'll be taught a big tone. Absolutely. And it's been great. Really, really enjoyed it. So, you know, thank you from me as well. Yeah, thank you both. It's been so good listening to these stories. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Steve. No, no problem. I mean, you, you didn't have the, um, you, you put in your message that, um, you know, you never saw us play. Um, and I, I think when you um, you listen to, to you know you look at listen to people like me old stages and all that sort of stuff in, in days gone by and what have you but um, um, but it's the you know you, you look back and say it's your club you know I understand it's your club you're, uh, you 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 watch the iron and all that sort of stuff and you know the the new players that come through and you look at say, players like us who were there years ago and like Tony's talking about Cammy. Uh, and players, players like that, and it's history of the football club, and it's uh, it's nice to have been invited to uh, to have a chat. So thank you, Mark. Oh, no problem. No, really appreciate you coming on. It's been it's been uh, really good to listen to you both talking. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant. So uh, so good. Enjoyed it. Uh, Julian Broddle sent a message, uh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> He says he says hello and he says uh, he says make sure he says that uh, that Julian was the quickest at the club when he was there. He was quickest running away from anybody. I tell you that. He <laughs> was quickest to stay away from bar. So you can send that one back to him as well. But yeah, I mean, again, it's I've only just uh, hooked up with uh, with Julian again over for a lot of years. He's uh, and he's over my way. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm aware that Julian's in uh, in the Dinnington area, uh, and I'm at uh, Aston, um, you know, Sheffield, just off at M1. So he's, I know he's my way. Uh, but we just talked up on social media as well, so um, so that's good. Good. So hi, Julian, wherever you are. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this. Really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did. And we'll see you on the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 